Welcome to the Business Influencer Podcast, where we will be interviewing and exploring the success stories of entrepreneurs, business leaders, senior policymakers, and getting insights from thought leaders around the issues of the day. We will be delving into and analyzing the latest news around tech, geopolitics, finance, global business, entrepreneurship, property, leadership, law, philanthropy, and life. This podcast is available on all platforms. But for those of you who prefer to watch, uh, we have the Natural Media YouTube channel. Please subscribe and you can watch all the interviews. Uh, you can also follow the show's updates on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Please do leave a review as it helps to get the word out and about. Uh, my name is Ninda Johal. I am the co-founder of The Natural Group, the Signature Awards and co-publisher of the Business Influencer magazine. And I will be your host for the show. As anybody who runs a small business will tell you, uh, there's always the challenge of how to launch and market a brand in a heavily competitive marketplace. What a wash with distribution channels of all sorts, both digital and physical. And of course, the challenge is how do you market a brand with finite resources, both human and financial? So in my conversation today with commercial director Sam Watson of Burley's Gin, the East Midlands, Leicestershire, I explore and discuss with him how they, as a young, small business, have flourished in the competitive world of gins. Let's pop over and have a listen. Good afternoon, Sam. Thank you for taking time out. I know you're a bit of a globetrotter. You tend to be out and about. And, and, we've, been and we've been trying to book this it's been difficult, but then somebody who operates in the marketplace you do, I'm not surprised. So, so good afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon, and thanks very much for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really pleased we could finally set a date and, and, and have this chat. Yeah, really excited to talk about the, the brand today, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll I, I tell you what was interesting. Um, well, so, uh, as you know, we do networking awards evenings, and one of them is taking place in Leicester. Yeah. And and so I spent a bit of time in the East Midlands. And uh, by the way, for those who don't know, Leicester is in the East Midlands. And and your name, Burley's Gin, kept popping up. That's interesting, Brandon. And as a non-drinker, I didn't really think about looking into it because I don't drink. But, but it was interesting, the brand. So it was really good when our sort of combined names popped up to do a podcast. And, and I'll tell you why I was intrigued. Because when we look at the alcohol market, so Burley's Gin operates in the alcohol market, um, you see a lot of competition, a lot of competition. And I was keen to ask you, Sam, mm -hmm. on how a small business like yours copes in that, in that environment. So, so over to you first, Sam. Two things then. Tell us who Burley's Gin are. Yeah. And then how you came to be sitting in front of the screen sure. chatting to me as part of Burley. So so over to you, Sam. And, and sorry, just before you start, um, just to let people know what we're hoping to get from today is understanding how a small brand can compete with a big brand. And so there might be hopefully some insights you can give us. Some. So over to you, Sam. Sure. Burley's and how you got involved. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we, we are Burley's Gin. Um, we are a craft distillery uh, based in Leicestershire, as you've mentioned. Um, and, and Leicestershire has got a really thriving food and drink scene um, and we're really proud to be a part of it. So 
we've been distilling here um, on the still that's that's behind me today since 2014. Um, the gin market um, has been really thriving, uh, not just here in the UK, but, but all over the globe um, for the last 10 or so years. Um, and, and we've very much been part of that and that, that initial kind of wave. And it is a highly competitive market, as you've mentioned. Um, and it's been a long journey for us and, and one that we've spent a lot of time establishing our brand, reaching out into new markets um, and, and really building a product portfolio that, that really stands out against the crowd. So um, in terms of the, the foundations of Burley's and, and how it started, Two Leicestershire businessmen uh, originally were actually more onto the brewing side um, of, of the alcohol market. Um, and they basically worked with uh, buying and selling of, of brewing equipment. And as the licensing laws around gin changed and distilling started to become more accessible to, to smaller businesses, they started to get a lot of requests for distilling equipment. Uh, wasn't something that they had a lot of experience with. And it started to grow um, and they decided that they wanted to set up their own distillery. So um, that's that's how it, it, the journey started. Um, and yeah, it's back in 2014. We're based here at Borden Lodge Farm, which is kind of out in the Leicestershire countryside, really nice site. Um, and where I'm sat today is um, a converted um, milking parlour. So it was a, a working farm. Um, there's no longer animals here and they do uh, still farm, but we're, we're set up here. So. Um, the journey began with, with installing the still behind me, which is Messy Bessie. Um, it's uh, created every single bottle of Burley's Gin um, since we started. It's all been done by hand, uh, hand distilled, hand bottled through in the back. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's quite an interesting process and um, relatively small setup. Um, in terms of my involvement in the brand, um, I joined in March 2014. The first distillation started in June. And I've always been involved in, in the brand side of things. So initially I started um, on more of the marketing side. I was doing a lot of social media, brand work, websites. Um, and over the years, just progressed with the business and grown to the point where um, I'm now commercial director of the business. Um, I'm working across all areas of the business um, and, and basically heading up the team of what is now um, seven employees that um, basically make, sell and promote Burley's Gin. So uh, I'm now trying to put myself in your shoes and I'm thinking, where do I start? How do I get my brand out there? So, so what, what was your line of thinking? What was your thought process? What did you do first? Because, it's, you know, you could shoot off in all directions. Yeah. So what did you do first to get your brand recognised amongst all these other brands and of course to get the retailers and the distributors interested in you yeah yeah so i think what we wanted to do was really establish a brand that had a strong connection to the local community um you know a really appealing um bottle design and, and brand um, that would really stand out on on the back bars and you know shelves in supermarkets etc so that's where we kind of started was you know what does this brand need to look like we wanted it to have a true backstory to it um, that you know that's relevant and and will help to buy people into the brand so the Burley's name actually comes from Burley's Wood um, which is just adjacent to the distillery here now we wanted the whole package to tie together the brand name the actual recipe for the the product as well so that's that's what we did um, so as I say it's inspired by Burley's Woodland a lot of the botanicals used in our gin you will actually find growing in the Burley's Woodland 
so it gives a real provenance to the to the product it's a very authentic style of gin so we we put our own twist on it by using those um flavors that you know and botanicals that can be found growing so we use silver birch we use elderberries dandelion and burdock which all found grown in the woods and that created our our signature recipe uh, which since then we've then created various different brands uh products sorry that um have used that as the base and then we we put our own twists on them to to create a portfolio of, of products but i think for us we always wanted the brand to tied to the local community, but really stand out and, and have a nice nice brand image that really draws people in. So I was, um, we recently interviewed Joe Foster, Reebok. Yeah. And um, so he said every time in the early days, he would go to a retailer and say, look, buy my Nike. They would say, sorry, I'm already buying Adidas. I'm already buying Nike. I'm already buying Puma. Why would I need yours? So how, how did you overcome that problem? Because surely people must say, I'm already stocking X, Y, A, B, C, and Z. How did you overcome? Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it is a very difficult challenge. And obviously there's so, so many different routes to, to kind of go down. But what we did decide to do was, you know, start local and then let's grow out. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the Leicestershire food and drink scene is, is very strong. Um, there's a lot of independent, um, you know, shops, bars, restaurants that, um, you know, really want to support other independent food and drink producers. So we felt that was a good place to start on our, our journey and, and start to establish a foothold in the market. So, yeah, a lot of um, customers initially were, were more of that independent side and they really bought into the brand because it was produced locally. I think for us, it's been a lot about really proving the quality of the product and how it's produced as i mentioned all of the gin is, is hand distilled hand bottled there's a lot of care that goes into our product so the brand is is very strong and we have nice decorated bottles which you can see a few behind me at the moment so that really stands out and and the quality needs to match and i think one of the the biggest thing for us was was getting the liquid in front of people for them to try and it, it almost speaks for itself with, with how good it, 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 it is. And, and that convinced a lot of people, you know, to initially take that, that chance on us and, and stock our product was because the quality of both the brand and the, the product matched up. So almost, almost you're talking about first making sure the packaging looks good. Yeah. So if the packaging is good, nobody's going to sample it. They're not yeah, going to sample it. Exactly. So, so, so the packaging came first. Yeah. Um, so it's got to look good. Mm -hmm. uh, then they taste it. Yeah. Uh, hopefully if the taste is good yeah uh, but what was interesting is you made the point of being very focused on your messaging mm. so that people knew where you stood so I was, I was talking to somebody about product positioning and i said to them, do you know where your product is actually positioned do people when they mention your name know what they're buying mm. and and i think that's normally the biggest problem is having your product positioned yeah so so actually the people can actually pick you out straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, that positioning and, and particularly in the early days, <clears throat> targeting the right venues to stock our product that, you know, had the, the same values and, you know, they want to choose, <clears throat> you know, whether that's food or drink, they want to choose the best quality that's available or they want to support local and, you know, they then also in, in return, they're, they're targeting the right people that you want to get in front of as well in terms of the, the customer base and people that 
you know, are interested in the provenance of products and where they've come from and, um, you know, really invest into a brand and the brand's values. So I think that that was always very important for us in the early days because we are a premium priced product. We wanted to be in other premium venues um, and, and, yeah, really situated in the right place. So that, you know, it wasn't a case of going out to everywhere and putting it in front of as many people as possible, particularly with being a small team. You know, we haven't got the the capacity to be out everywhere. So it was very much a, a targeted um, approach and, and making sure we were going into venues that, you know, were, were going to uphold our values of the product and, and serve it in the correct way and, and deliver the message that we want to, to pass on as well. So, yeah, we very much focused our, our efforts on, on doing that. You talked about the word capacity there. So there's two things I want to pick up. Mm-hmm. One was people. So you have a capacity in terms of people. Yeah. Um, you're not floating on a stock market. So you have a capacity when it comes to finance. Yeah. Um, so how do you decide? And, I, and I'm, f- I'm fully with this. I run a s- small businesses on. Yeah. We've got capacity issues all over the place. Um, so how do you then, with those two restrictions, how do you decide where to spend your money? Mm-hmm. How much to spend your money? Yeah. And how do you know if it works? And, and, and I'm going to slightly throw another one in is because I assume you sell through e-commerce. I know you do. Yeah. You sell direct um, yeah. to retailers and distributors. And we'll talk about exporting in a few minutes yeah. and exporting. So lots of channels yeah. to distribute. Um, how do you get in front of all of them? Mm-hmm. Bearing in mind, you've got a capacity problem with yeah. people and finance. So how do other small businesses learn from you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's very difficult to, to find that balance and, and really understand, you know, where your spend is is going to return the most amount of investment back from. Uh, and it is very difficult. And, and uh, say we're now approaching our, our eighth year. Um, I guess in, in some circumstances, we've, we've learned the hard way, you know, we've, we've put money into, you know, certain campaigns or events that haven't quite worked. And I think obviously, Sometimes you have to just go out there and try things and, and find out if it's going to work for you or not. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there is obviously that element of, of learning the hard way and trying some things that may or may not work. Um, so, so yeah, we've, we've had to adapt and overcome those situations. Um, but, yeah, we very much have a, a split approach. Um, so wholesale is, is actually our, our biggest market um, that we, we trade into. So wholesalers that are then selling on to pubs, restaurants, bars, the, the on-trade effectively. Um, that makes up roughly around 55 to 60% of our business that has fluctuated over the last couple of years due to hospitality, obviously, uh, closing, reopening, etc. But the beauty of wholesale is, although we are limited in capacity, a lot of the wholesalers that we work with, they have additional staff who can push our brand. So our focus when working with wholesalers is very much providing the wholesalers with the tools that they need to be able to then sell our brand into further places. So, you know, we're, we're being quite smart there by, you know, we haven't got loads of staff that can be out and on the road all the time, but these wholesalers have got the established network of, of customers that, that they can then sell on to. So that side of our business, you know, we've got national reach across those, those wholesalers. So we've always been very smart and, you know, we, um, use the marketing tools that they've got available, whether that's a, you know, a promotional brochure that they're putting into their sites, um, utilizing their own website if they accept trade orders online um, and, and basically using their sales staff as well. You know, we will invite sales staff here, come and come and see the brand because I think 
that's one of the beauties of, of Burley's Gym. And one of the things not commonly known about the gym market is a lot of the brands that are available in the supermarket now are actually distilled by one of the bigger distilleries. So it's made by them. It's a different label on. And, you know, there you go. It's, it's then sold into the shops. Whereas with us, um, we obviously distill here on, on site. We like to invite those wholesalers and customers in to, to come and see how we produce and, and, yeah, really kind of understand the brand. So, so really, it's a case of, in mind, there's a finance restriction and there's only so many people that work for you. So how do you make that? And, of course, you've got e-commerce. You sell to distributors. You sell to retailers. Lots of channels. How do you decide where to spend and how much to spend? And how do you measure this working? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we do have a, a good mixture of channels, as you mentioned, into the wholesalers, e-commerce, et cetera. And, um, yeah, it, it is very difficult. And um, I think over the years, you know, we, we have at times had to learn the hard way. Um, you know, there's been certain events or campaigns that we've invested money into, and they just haven't returned the investment that, that we were hoping to. So, you know, it comes with experience and time of learning what works for your brand and, and what doesn't. And I think over the, the last eight years, say we, we've, really kind of learn what works for us. So, um, you know, just to give you a bit of background into each area. So wholesale, for example, is our, our biggest route to market. Um, it's somewhere between kind of 55 and 60% of our, our overall trade is, is into wholesalers who sell on into bars, restaurants, pubs, wherever that might be. Um, the beauty of working with the wholesalers is that they have a very well-established network of customers that they can put your brand in front of. So. Over the years, we've established relationships with local wholesalers, uh, national ones as well. Um, and we really work hard to build relationships with them and their sales representatives who effectively, because we're limited in capacity of our staff, um, they can do a lot of the, the work for you. Um, so, you know, we, we really look to support them. Um, we invest money into promotional campaigns and we can then obviously return, see the return by how many sales are, are going through that wholesaler. So it is quite a good way to, to obviously measure what's working and what's not with, with those. Um, then we work directly with a lot, lot of um, kind of off-trade sites, so whether that's farm shops um, or a deli or a, a wine merchant, things like that. So, so with those relationships, um, again, they've got a, you know, a very loyal customer base a lot of the time, particularly the independent stores. They'll, they'll have customers that come in you know, regular on, on, the, on a weekly basis that we work with them to you know, really build them into the, the Burley's brand so that they can then sell that onto their customers. Um, and I think the beauty of the Burley's brand and what we've always tried to do across the board, um, whether that's with, you know, the end consumer, the wholesalers, representatives, or those uh, independent shops, we like to invite them into the Burley's distillery to really understand the brand and who we are. So one of the things that's probably not that commonly known about the gin industry is that a lot of the particular kind of smaller brands that you're now finding on the shelves of either supermarkets or shops, they're not actually distilled by that brand. A lot of the time they can be made by a bigger distiller um, who does almost like a white label service that they then put into the supermarkets. The beauty of Burley's and such a big selling point for us is the fact that we do make every single bottle of gin here. It is all made on this still behind me. It is hand bottled by the same team all of the time with the same processes that ensure it's a quality and consistent product. Um, and that really makes a difference. So inviting those people in, really helping them to understand the brand, that means they then almost become brand advocates for us and they really understand our brand. 
what our messaging is and it buys them into the same values as what we share and they'll then put those forward. Um, and then I think the, the, the one that's big for us and, and growing and really important is that e-commerce side. Um, particularly, you know, don't like to touch on COVID too much because we've all heard about it. But, you know, when COVID hit, that really truly showed us the, the full value and, and potential of our e-commerce route because, you know, everybody was at home, everybody was ordering online and, and it was fantastic. So we have actually quite dramatically shifted our efforts towards that e-commerce side. Um, and when we talk about return on investment and, you know, seeing where your money's going, the beauty of digital is that those statistics are all there in front of you all of the time. You know, you can see the reach, you can see where your spend is going, you can see what return on investment you're getting from either, you know, digital ads or um, your uh, PPC, things like that. that. That really works and it's such a great area to, to focus on. Um, and with it being sold direct to the end consumer, the profit margins are obviously highest as well because we're selling at our full retail price rather than, um, you know, a discounted wholesaler price. So. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, COVID really showed us the potential of that um, F, uh, the, that channel. So e-commerce is, is massive for us. And um, we've redeveloped a new website. As mentioned, we're doing a lot more social ads and putting more spend in there. And we are seeing the return on investment. And it's really working well for us. Interesting. The, the, the bit I picked up there, which I think a lot of small businesses forget about, mm. and you've picked it up, is working in partnerships and collaboration. You talked about how you work closely with your wholesalers, yeah. how you're in continual touch with the independents and yeah. using their marketing prowess. So it's, yeah. I think small companies, business forget that you can work with other people yeah. who have a similar, may not be the same competing product, but a similar marketplace and should work with them. I think the other thing, and you're completely right, so we've just done a deal with an American retailer for our magazine. The business influencer, and and now we're thinking, well, hold on, we're going to have to promote this somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course, you're sitting, you think, well, crikey, how, how do you do that? It's such a huge country. Yeah. Um, and of course, we're now sitting down and working in partnership with the retailers. Yeah. But you're also right. Um, you have to accept that not everything you do is going to work. Yeah. yeah. And you have to accept that until you test it and do it, you're never going to know. So. I think part of the thinking should be not everything's going to work. We do have to do something because you can't just wait for the phone to ring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, that collaborative approach um, for for us didn't kind of just stop at, uh, you know, working with the the customers that are then selling on. We we decided fairly early on in in the business, uh, life of the business, that we were going to look to collaborate with people to expand our, our product portfolio as well. So um, the first collaborate, the collaboration product we did was actually with Leicester City Football Club. So we're now official producer for both Leicester City and Leicester Tigers. As I mentioned, local community always been very strong for yeah. us um, yeah. and that collaborative approach. So they tied in really nicely. So, um, you know, both clubs have got big reach in their, their respective rights. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been producing gin with them now for four or five years. Um, and that really works well for us. So the collaboration side, as I mentioned, doesn't just stop with, with those that are selling our product. It's, it's teaming up with brands that we see, we have a connection with. Obviously the football ones, it's the local community. And that, that then reaches out to a completely new market for us. You know, some people are buying that product that wouldn't necessarily have 
I've just bought the Burley's brand. They're buying into it because, you know, they love their sporting club and, and it makes sense. So um, that's been an interesting approach that's really worked for us. And when we talk about the, you know, highly competitive market that the gin industry is, having exclusive products with, you know, big brands and sporting teams like Leicester City Football Club and Leicester Tigers has, has really worked well for us and, and completely opened new doors that we, you know, wouldn't necessarily have opened without them. Um, so, you know, whether that's retailers or, or bar groups, it's, it's really helped. Uh, in, in terms of the, you talk about community and, uh, and I think that the learning bit is focus where you are first, pick up your low hanging fruits before you try and do everything. Um, uh, so, so the current buzzwords, the current things every business is now looking at is sustainability, yeah. ESG. So is that important to you as, 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 a, as a distiller? Does, does, it, does it matter to you? And if so, yeah. why does it matter? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it does really matter to us. And uh, again, it's been something that we've really focused on as a business for the last two to three years. I think, you know, sustainability, it does keep growing. It is that buzzword that seems to get, you know, mentioned a lot. But I do believe that we all need to do our part, you know, whether that's at home in personal life or, or as, as a business. And um, we've started to make small steps so that we can feel like we're doing all that we can and, and making a difference. Um, so when we actually reviewed our sustainability and our production processes, we actually realised we are actually quite sustainable sustainable as it is without kind of making too many changes so we thought well we can really harness this and start to make even more changes so that we really are doing a bit so for the production process there's very little waste um that's actually comes from gin so you know it's not like we're we're throwing a lot of the product away some of it gets recycled the majority of it goes on to that uh, end production as well so we thought yeah we've we've got that side down what else can we do so um we also looked at where the, the power is being sourced from. So Borden Lodge Farm actually has a, a solar panel um, set up that's, that's here on the farm that supplies all of the energy into the business. So we're using renewable energy. Um, we've redesigned our gin school. So we have a gin distilling experience that we invite customers into. Um, we've designed a completely new and very unique um, system that recycles all the water through. So we're not using a mains water supply. And we've looked at those uh, more kind of regularly used um, packaging and things like that. And we're doing sustainable packaging, biodegradable. Um, so it's, it's really working well for us. And, you know, we wanted to do, do our bit for the community. So we've reviewed our, our, um, our processes and, and we're going to continue to do that and hope to improve even further. Um, but going back to our collaborative approach, what we decided to do was actually reach out to the National Forest. So for those that don't know, the National Forest are situated here in the Midlands. Uh, they cover a lot of Leicestershire, Derbyshire um, and Staffordshire as well. And it is one of the biggest forests um, in, in the UK, There's the, the area that it stretches through. Um, and the National Forest um, is actually, we're also part of the National Forest site here at Borden Lodge Farm. So we thought, you know, we're looking at sustainability and how we can improve the, the local environment. So we've decided to partner with them and create Burley's National Forest Gin, which um, it launched last year. It's been really popular. Um, so for every bottle sold, we're putting money back into uh, the National Forest and redeveloping the, the local community. So um, it kind of all ties in just with our values as a brand. You know, we like to work collaboratively. We like to support our local community. And, and we want to be sustainable and, and 
and do better things for the environment. So that one really felt like such a natural progression for our brand to, to move into that and, and launch that product. And going back to when I said that, you know, early days, we, we wanted a brand that, you know, had true values and it had a story behind it. I think as time's come on and it's developed, these collaborations have been so strong for us and just really enhance our brand story. And then going back to such a crowded market, well, what makes it different? Well, we're Burleys, we've got this product and, and that's, that's what we stand for. So it, it has really helped. Now, uh, businesses um, prefer certainty. They prefer an environment in which they can plan. Um, and that's far from what we've had over the last few years. So we've had COVID and an OU export. Um, we've had Brexit, so Brexit would have affected that. Yeah. So I suppose the question now is, have we got inflation? Boy, have we got inflation. Yeah. So, so how do you, as Burleys, um, by the way, um, I'm, I'm guessing, unless you're going to tell me otherwise, skills is a problem. Getting right people is a problem. That we didn't anticipate because of COVID. We thought it flipped the other way. Yeah. So let's let's pick up skills and labour first, and we'll take yeah. the others. How, how does Burleys cope with the, with issues around skills and labour? You're growing now. Yeah. Is it a problem getting the right people? I think it, it has been been difficult, and we are expanding at the moment. So we've just brought uh, one person in on the distilling side, and we're currently. Um, we're currently looking to bring somebody into the sales side. It has been very difficult. And I think one of the things obviously mentioned about being a small team earlier, um, you know, we really need people that share the same values of us and are really going to fit in with, with the team because our dynamic is very good. We all share the same kind of vision for the brand. We all understand what the brand is about. So I think where we've always looked to kind of bring people in is not necessarily got that finalized and defined skill set for what they need to do. You know, particularly on the distilling side, there's not a massive pool of distillers in the UK. Yeah. So, you know, we, we understand that, you know, it's not necessarily, you're not going to find the, the perfect end product really with, with that person that can come in and distill and, and do everything you need them to do. So for us, it's very much been about finding the right people who understand the brand you know, hardworking, enthusiastic, believe in the same values that we do to really continue. It goes back to the, the branding and how important the branding is. You know, as, as, as uh, you know, members of the Burleys team, we, we are representing the brand at all times. And, we, you know, we're dealing with customers or end consumers. You know, they need to see that we believe in the brand and, and have, have those, those visions that we try to, to kind of, um, you know, establish for us. So... So, yeah, we have found it difficult, but I think what, what we've tried to do is, you know, we, we can train these people. So that's that's what the route that we've gone down is finding the right fit. So you you employ people on attitude and whether they're coachable and yeah. whether they're ready to be trained, then looking and scouring the market for people who are hugely experienced really doing it. So, exactly. so, so people that are more interested in the values and the culture of what you do. Exactly. Is that right? And, and yeah, I think that's what small business is. Um, so, so, for example, the last role that we have, have just employed for um, is to work for our gin school um, and hosting sessions with end consumers where they come and have an experience and they distill a bottle of gin um, and also working on the distilling side and production. Um, Owen, who's now joined us, um, is actually straight out of university. This is his first full-time job. But what we were impressed with was Owen was 
how well he understood the brand when he came in. He'd done his research. He understood what we were about and, you know, what we were trying to create here as a brand and teaching the distilling side, not to un undersell ourselves, but, you know, it, you can pick it up. Um, it's, you know, once, once you've kind of, when you've got somebody that already understands it teaching you, you know, you, you can pick it up. So we went with Owen because we saw that he understood the brand and that he would fit in well with our team. And I think, as I say, with such a small team, it's so important that side of having somebody that that's going to fit in and, you know, we're, we're so flexible, you know, we, although we have, you know, defined roles, being a small business, you have to be versatile and you have to be able to get stuck in and do whatever the business requires you to do. And Owen has very much shown that from interview stage and into his early days that, that he understands that. So yeah, that's, that's where we're at. And, and even, you know, looking at my own journey within the business, when I came in, I was straight off an apprenticeship. Um, in marketing so I'd only had uh, my apprenticeship I'd done that for two years looking at digital side and social media and I came into the business as you know somebody that didn't have the most experience but you know uh, the, the co-founders that, that employed me then at the time they had belief in me and they could see that I also shared the vision that they had for the Burley's brand from those early days so over the eight years I've I've grown into the role and I've I've pretty much done every kind of aspect of, of this business other than actually distilling the product. I've, I've pretty much done every part at some point. And I think that's so important for us as a, as a small business is to find people that have the belief, the drive and the work ethic to, to really make the business a success. We talked about different channels of, of distribution. And of course, one of them is exports. So I suppose uh, the question to ask is, um, Brexit happened, yeah. uh, COVID happened, and with COVID products coming in because of the shipping problems, and I remember the, the hike in transport. Uh, so, so how has your export side been affected by all these external factors, which actually you have nothing to do with? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there has been a number of, of factors that, that have impacted it. And unfortunately last year we did see a, a, a drop in, in export sales. So previously we were around 20% of our sales um, in 2020 were, were still exports. So that kind of early stage of COVID, we were still seeing export orders going out the door. It was actually last year that, that we really um, saw a, a downfall. So around 7% was, was the drop overall. Um, and yeah, there's various different factors, but I think overall the main thing was just the cost of transport has, has really um, damaged our export trade. Now, we're hopeful that that's something that will start to level itself out, but obviously very you know, difficult to, to forecast that. Mm -hmm. um, but with us being obviously a, a, an independent and smaller brand, we partner with um, other distributors in those different export markets that are of a, a similar size. So, you know, they're not ordering, you know, uh, shipping containers worth of gin. They're looking at pallet, two pallets. It's, it's now got to the stage where, unfortunately, the transport costs, it, it's just not viable for, for them commercially to, to be shipping two pallets at a time, which makes it really difficult because they are looking to invest into the more niche, independent brands like ourselves. Um, and, and it's making it very difficult. So, Whereas our, some of our larger um, uh, distributors, so for example, uh, we work with a company over in Spain. Spain is uh, very similar in, in size to the UK in terms of gin market. Very yeah. popular. They were actually a few years ahead of, of kind of where England was in terms of the gin boom. Uh, 
they've not been affected as much, but uh, into some of the smaller areas like Greece, for example, Hungary that we were distributing into, they're now finding it very difficult to make it commercially viable. So it, it has really affected our business, but it is something that we're hopeful can, can kind of sort itself out and hopefully the costs can come back down at, at some point. Um, and, and we can start to trade a, a lot more into those markets. And, and has inflation just made it worse? Yes, I mean, costs um, of, of pretty much all of our, our raw materials have, have, have gone up. Um, it, it's, and it's going up, you know, very quickly, um, you know, from the glass to the decoration to the botanicals. Um, so some of the botanicals used in, in gin, for example, not really available here in the UK. So we, we have little to no choice other than to, to import. And obviously the, the supplies that we're using that are potentially UK based, they're, they're having to pass on the cost that it's costing them to get it into the UK. So it, it really is kind of impacting us. And, um, you know, we're now having to pass those price increases on to our customers. And it, it, it just becomes very, very difficult for people, particularly, you know, we're talking about the hospitality trade here in the UK. You know, one of the sectors that's definitely been hit the hardest because they had no choice but to close. So and we're now having to pass more costs on to these people that have had, you know, two years of very limited trade and, and very difficult times. So it, it is difficult. Last couple of questions. Um, one is, I'm sure you probably do sleep well, but what keeps you awake at night? And 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 what what will success look like for Burleys? Say five years on, where do you hope the business will be for you to go? Yeah, good job, job yeah. done. Yeah, sure. I think um, not necessarily keeps me up at night, but I think my um, my worry a lot of the time is is complacency, and I I don't want the brand or the business to ever get complacent with with where we are. I, I would, you know, I'm proud of the brand, um, and I think we've done a great job. But this market is still highly competitive. You know, we can't rest on what we did last year. Yeah. What the latest product? Yeah. We need to continue to innovate, continue to develop the brand further, and, and strengthen our message and core values, and, and continue to push the brand forward. So I think I'm always conscious of that. You know, we, we need to be thinking about what what we can do to to keep us you know relevant and in people's minds at the forefront of their minds and wanting to buy the Burley's product. Um, you know, we want to value our customers and you know really support them as well. So. So yeah, I think for, for us, it's, it's um, yeah, about continuing to develop the Burley's brand. And, you know, we are very strong in the Midlands. We are exporting, we are available nationally, but there's still a lot of work to do so that we're, you know, recognised even further afield. So um, yeah, we do need to continue pushing and, and, and moving forward. Um, I think in terms of what success would look like, um, potentially a brand acquisition by maybe one of the, the kind of bigger uh, brands, you know, we don't, want to lose the values but there are uh, companies out there that have brand portfolios that can really take your brand to the next next level i think for us potentially you know the, the development of the brand would mean that at some point hopefully we do get to that level where we're really into a lot of the bigger national kind of grocers but you know we we never want to kind of compromise the the brand values that we've worked so hard to establish. But I, I think that would be success for us is just being widely available and nationally recognised as a brand. I love the comment about complacency. Mm. I think that's fantastic. And I think people do get into that sort of, oh, this will do. And and they sometimes lose that, that sort of energy. But I love the word about 
complacency and the need to uh, really innovate and continue to innovate and think yeah. new, doesn't matter what size you are. Um, so, so just to quickly sum up a couple of things, you, you've spoken about understanding your brand, understanding your values, uh, understanding which channel works best for you, yeah. being focused, mm-hmm. uh, going for your low-hanging fruit, the, the community around you that yeah. you know is, is there to help you, um, understanding that skill sets are changing, particularly around digital, yeah. um, but always staying in touch with your community, doesn't matter, always, because if they meet you and see you, they understand the brand. Um, yeah, you, you've flexed, doesn't matter whether it's been Brexit or inflation, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've somehow coped, yeah. and, and we've all got to have that coping mechanism, and we should be ready for that coping mechanism. And and Sam, the brand does look great. I, I've seen it pop up a number of places um, yeah. in the East Midlands. You know, it'd be great to see more of it in the West Midlands, and I'm sure yeah. it already is here in yeah. in, in in Great Spades. You've come a long way for as an apprentice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so well done. Look, we'll we'll stay in touch. We'll see yeah. how the brand continues. Uh, some great insights for other small businesses to think about. Mm. And you did mention, and we mustn't forget uh, that we've got to look after the world we live in. Yeah. And sustainability is still key. Doesn't matter whatever size your business is. So, Sam, I know you've got to disappear. Uh, in the next couple of days, so you've got lots to do. I know you're globe trotting, uh, so I wish you the best for the rest of the week. Thank you, Thank you for taking time out, and uh, and 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 maybe actually a final question. I did forget to ask you actually. Sure. I'm not a I'm not a drinker of alcohol, but yeah. you must have you must be thinking about products for non-alcoholics like me. Sure. Yeah. So you know, talking about not being complacent and and looking at yeah. in the brand. Yeah, we we are actually in the process of developing a non-alcoholic gin um technically can't be termed gin but it will be a yeah, yeah. You know, botanical based uh, uh spirit so um it'll be a zero percent um it's a massive growing market um uh, you know, yeah various reasons you know health reasons people are, are looking, yeah. they are reviewing their, their drinking habits um and the beauty and similar with what happened with the gin market you know mother's ruin people were like you know gin's not a nice drink as uh you know, smaller distilleries came about, the, the quality improved. And that's what's happening at the moment with the non-alcoholic and alcohol-free side of things is the quality is improving. Um, so we want to develop a product that, you know, has the same values as what the, the Burley's, you know, gin range does and the same quality. So it's it's in the process. It's coming. Um, you know, people can keep an eye out. It'll be on our social media and website hopefully very soon. So, uh, yeah, it's... it's so in it's- which case, Sam, I'm definitely going to come down. I'll pop yeah. down check out the distillery and enjoy a drink with you yeah perfect sounds good to me <laughs> cheers sam thanks very much have a great week thanks a lot take thanks. care i hope you enjoyed uh, this episode and if so please do leave a review it all helps in promoting the podcast oh and by the way have a great day